Please welcome to the stage Bryony Cole and Micah Steinbach. everybody. Hello. We are so excited to see that you all stayed for the last day at South by to come and listen about sex tech. Yes. So let me ask you, who of you in the room today are attending their first sex tech event? Raise your hands. Wow. Okay. Well, let me tell you now that you're all mistaken. Because sex tech is actually the only piece of technology that 8 billion people actually have, in one shape or form, had access to. Otherwise, you guys would not be here today on this planet. <laughs> My name is Maike Steinbach. I'm the founder of Femtech Future. I used to be a C-suite executive, but a few months ago, I decided that the future is about democratizations of women's well-being financial, sexual, physical, and mental. And the use of technology will enable us to all create a more equal future. But I am here today because there is still a huge stigma on sex. And even though we have all, in one shape or form, experienced sex in our lives, we are still treating this as a backward industry. We talk about how sleazy it is, how inaccessible it is for a lot of people, but actually the innovation and technology that is happening in this space is really, really amazing. And I'm here today with world-leading sex tech expert, Bryony Cole, um, who is going to talk to us about this in detail. Yes. So welcome, Bryony. Thank you, thanks. thanks everyone for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited we've got, we get to introduce you to sex tech. Um, so I, I started, in, I'm a, a techie, recovering techie, I guess. Um, I discovered sex tech in 2016 and was absolutely fascinated by what was going on in the industry and was thinking, why is no one talking about this? Um, so I started a podcast called Future of Sex. Um, so we have a media company that explores sex and technology. In uh, the pandemic, uh, we started Sex Tech School and that allows people to go and build businesses in the space. Um, we have a six-week program looking at all different innovations in sex tech, and uh, we just launched the sextechx.com, which is an investment community really interested in providing access to capital for all these amazing innovations in sex tech that we're going to introduce you to today. So really happy to be here, and uh, my sex tech sister in arms. <laughs> <laughs> so, but let's take a step back. So what is sex tech? Oh, what are we talking yes. about? Good, good start. Okay, so uh, the easiest way to think about sex tech, I think, is two big circles, sexuality and technology. Um, whenever I talk about, I'm talking about sex tech, future of sex, everyone goes, you must be talking about fucking robots or something, having sex with robots. And I go, yes, and if we think about, um, Beyond the obvious, okay, sex and robots, that's, that fits in sexuality and um, the technology bucket. Sex tech is actually a lot more vast than we um, imagine on first glance. So sexuality, of course, having sex, all the good stuff, but also things like education, health, crime and violence reporting, assault reporting, human trafficking, the way we move in the world, medicine, identity, all these things fall in our sexuality bucket. 
because sexuality is just the way we all move in the world, the eight billion people on this planet. It's so core to our identity. So that's how I think about sexuality. And of course, technology. Technology is a tool that allows us to do things, right? Go from A to B. And so a lot of people, sex tech, they're going, it's robotics, it's all the sexy, cool technology stuff we're talking about um, at South by Southwest. Artificial intelligence, Web3, mixed realities, XR, VR. But um, for me, sex tech is also really simple technologies. So we have things like apps, websites, and um, the oldest sex tech, which I love to give this example, is um, stone dildos that were found uh, in a cave recently that date back 40,000 years. As I think about technology as a tool, they definitely fit the criteria. So sex tech is, is so many different things, and I think when we start to think about sex tech like that, um, it's, it's hard to put a border around it, isn't it, Mike? It's sort yeah. of... It's, Sex robots, it's also the unsexy stuff like STI health reporting, which is so important to the health and the well-being um, of the planet, really. Um, so that's sex tech in a nutshell. Hard, hard to measure. Shall we show? Oh, yeah, okay. Are we doing that now? We'll yep. start with the fun yep, stuff. Yeah, we're doing that now. Okay, so some, some offline sex tech. I think also people think technology and we go straight to digital. Um, but technology, like the stone dildos, is also like the, the, the tools, right? The things we use. Um, and this is Mike's showing laurels, which are um, oral sex protection panties, basically a substitute for the dental dam, which is so archaic and boring and awful to think about putting a dental dam over you um, in the moment. And so laurels was developed as a tool to, um, you know, prevent STIs and have a better experience around that. They have now all different colours um, and super interesting way to, you know, talk about STI prevention. Yeah, and interestingly enough, they don't look very sexy, but they actually mould very nicely and fold very well. So yeah. they're very, very comfortable. Yeah. We're not putting them on today. No, we're not putting Unless, them on. Unless, does anyone want to volunteer as No, demo? no, let's, no, let's not do it's that. Not sorry. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So, Do you want to explain the next one? Yes, I want to show the next one. Okay. Um, so one of the real challenges of sex, apart from pleasure, is also pain. So many, many women and people in general um, have pain during penetrative sex. So I just want to show a new innovation. It's called the O-Nut. Um, and it's actually a series of flexible donuts. And I'll show you how flexible they are which you actually put over the penis. And depending on how much pain you have during penetrative sex, you can actually decide whether you put on one, two, or three rings, and then they basically get really squishy. So if you want to go a little bit deeper, you take one off. But this has been a real game changer for people that have suffered from pain during sex. And recently, uh, we're gonna talk a bit more about Sex Tech School, but recently, Brownie and I hosted a session at the Sex Tech School, and it was really interesting because one of the students um, who listened to the founder of Onut, uh, Emily Sauer, talk about this product, was in tears online because she said, this is for the first time in 14 years that I feel that somebody has actually understood my problem. So yeah. this is a really exciting piece of Sex Tech too. Well, I don't think people fully understand that 
um, you know, the statistics would say 75% of women at some point during their lives experience painful sex. So sometimes we go, oh, that's not for me. But actually when you think about, yes, sometimes there are, there are times when it can ruin your life as, as crying and as Emily made the, well, invented this. And there are times where it's just like, this is not the right time for me in my life. And we don't talk about these things. We think we're so alone. It can be so embarrassing because of course the stigma around sex until the owner or someone comes out and goes, you know what, I'm gonna talk about this. And so often, I think, in sex and sexuality, we only really do something when it's urgent, when something's going wrong, whether that's our relationship is in an emergency or our sex lives are so painful that we can't um, have sex with our partner. And I love that you use the word donuts because I'm pretty sure when Emily was prototyping, she actually used donuts on her partner's penis. Exactly. To figure it out. Exactly. Because we feel we're like there's got to be something. And that's what's so that's what I love about sex tech is it is actually it feels like real inventions. Like if we can get beyond the sex stuff and robots and yes, yeah, dildos are great and think about wow, there there are so many people out there innovating around their sex lives because they have to, because they've experienced a problem and they feel alone. Um, the last example I was going to show oh, is I'm the dripstick. Are you going to save that? Yes. Okay, that's yes. a true invention. Too. Yes, exactly. Okay, you because tell me when. I think, you know, Brioni and I are very comfortable talking about sex and particularly about sex tech, but there is still a lot of challenges and stigma, right. both on the industry as well as on sex tech. And I think you work a lot with sex tech founders yeah. and people in the industry. Can you talk to us a little bit around what the challenges are that they encounter? Yeah, sure. So if we, if we go past the first big hurdle, which I think trickles through to every element of trying to build a business in this space, the biggest thing is getting over the stigma and the taboo. And so when you're trying to start a business in a space that is considered vice, or has all these things where it's even hard to talk to people you know, about it in the room that are either your investors or people that you want uh, on your team, um, at every step of the process, it becomes difficult. So trying to open a bank account, um, which you, you would know about, or trying to raise money uh, without you know, people turning red or leaving the room or feeling really embarrassed or not even realising if you're talking to a room that don't have vaginas, oh my gosh, three quarters of women experience painful sex. So there's barriers right up front in getting your business set up and um, even finding an appropriate domain name that's not gonna turn people off. Um, marketing, of course, is a real challenge. And I've been uh, thrown off Instagram four or five times now, even though we're verified and everything. It's a constant challenge to advertise, to get to your consumers because you're considered vice, even if you're um, talking about sexual health or you're talking about assault reporting tools, so often, because it's sex, the first ding, ding, ding thing that goes off is we're, we're immediately thinking this is adult industry, this is porn, this is dangerous, we mustn't do this. And so for, for trying to, even if trying to build a small business, you're going to face those hurdles at every point to try and reach your consumer and to, even to try and go um, and get your product made, right? Like there's so many stories of trying to find manufacturers and then when they find out you're manufacturing something for you know, genitals or sex, they're like, oh, we can't touch that. So um, it's a real challenge. You have to be cut out for, for, for finding the other ways through and the hacks around it. So how do you feel this is impacting the industry as a whole, in particular innovation of the sex industry? 
I mean, I think it's working both ways. I think it's really hard to get mainstream audiences involved and um, buying the products and it, because it's hard for them to always be visible. Um, the other impact I see that's really interesting is, oh my gosh, the, the founders of these products are so tenacious and so, they're so gritty and they have to be, you have to be to stay in it, um, that it, they come up with these really interesting ideas. So on the one hand I go, oh wow, this is forcing s some great innovation. On the other hand, it's, it's really hard to get your product visible. Um, I know you've been involved in it as well. What, what would you say? Well, I think what is interesting to see is we're actually talking about a $60 billion industry potential. So if you flip it and not just look at the challenges, but look at the amazing opportunities that there are for companies and investors to invest in this space, you would wonder why there are not more people actually actively involved in it. What I like is that previously the industry was very much um, led by, by men, by mm. male founders, and increasingly you're seeing women entering the industry because they are really trying to create a better and safer and more inclusive experience for everyone. So they're focusing on solving real problems. Yeah, and I feel like they're focused on solving that because they're like, I, I, no one else is doing it. Yeah. I need to do it. Yeah, there can only exactly. be exactly. So, so many lubes that can help you. you know? <laughs> So let's talk about then how do we create more um, knowledge about this? And let's talk a little bit around why you founded Sex Tech School. So what is Sex Tech School and what inspired you to yeah, well, I think the, to the challenges that we were talking about before, it's so hard to even get a business up. So many people have great ideas, but it's like, how do you get that idea out of your head or that thing on the whiteboard to prototype in an industry where not only in your personal life do you feel alone, but in, an, in business you kind of feel alone and get laughed out of the room um, so often if you're with other industries that like you can't be serious, you're building. What is this, you know? Thing that you're building. So sex tech school was really a, a, a thing that I wish I had six years ago when I was starting out and I was like, well, this is fascinating, but where is everyone? And so for me, sex tech school was kind of an excuse to bring the most interesting people on the planet into the same room doing interesting things. And that may be building a VR sex education app. It may be building a private storage space for your nudes. It may be helping young kids and looking at sex education for teenagers. They were all working on different things in this sexuality space, but bringing them together, there was a sense of relief. First of all, mm. oh my gosh, I found my tribe. I don't have to first get over the giggles in the room about, ho oh, I'm working on this thing in the sex space. And secondly, um, by necessity, you have to face these challenges together, whether that's you know, changing the advertising policies at Meta, um, being, figuring out, well, which bank do we use? Do we mm. go to the banks in the smaller towns that won't look into this as much when we're trying to open up a, a bank account? So there's real power, I think, in the community. Um, in terms of sex tech school, on the surface, I think it looks like an accelerator program. We go through brand building, community engagement, business models, and you know you pop out the other side and you will have shown your work and, and built something over that time together. But for me, and I think for the other people I know that have gone through sex tech school, so much of it was about finding community, finding the people that are going through the same challenges as you or maybe have done it and are about five or 10 steps ahead of you. 
Yeah, so I'm an alumni of Sex Tech School. So during COVID, when everybody was doing online courses at MIT and Stanford, I thought, let me go and learn some more about Sex Tech. Um, and it's a six weeks program, which is completely online. So it's very, very accessible. Mm. What I found, um, is that it really helped me change some of my biases. So you had invited Heather and Andrew, mm -hmm. who are a brother and sister um, uh, uh, company, founded company, who have set up a company called Bumpin. Now, Andrew has uh, multiple, multiple sclerosis, so MS, and he was sexually active until he was 18, but after that ended up in a wheelchair. And Heather and Andrew, basically created or crowdsourced through a global design thinking session, a sex toy for disabled people. And to be honest, for me, this was eye-opening because I had never really thought about disabled people having sex or not having sex. Mm. But he explained that for disabled people, it is very, very um, difficult. To, to basically get access or be on Bumble or Grindr or whatever to have access to a proper relationship. And then actually engaging a sex worker, most of them would be on grants or some kind of welfare. So it's very, very it's expensive. expensive. Um, so they demoed what this sex toy looked like. It, they crowdsourced it like with a giant pool noodle. Um, and now the real thing is actually a smaller pool noodle, but something you can put between, between your legs and you can operate with your hands and with your chin for people that have obviously some impairments. Um, but that was just, you know, so many great innovation that is happening in this space and helping so many people have a more pleasurable sexual experience. Yeah. I think the other thing that really struck me was how challenging it is for a founder in sex tech. So I come from financial services and technology and it's never been an issue um, to raise funding if you're a fintech or uh, to kind of do advertising and marketing. But as you said, the challenges for this specific mm. industry are just really, really tough. So I found it really eye-opener. Yeah. And just as a learner, just to learn more about it was really, really a great experience. Well, thanks, thanks for bringing up also the disability space because what I think I get so excited about with sex tech and looking at new innovations is how niche, um, you know, can we go and overlooked um, communities and populations? And I think they're the most interesting things to me. They're the mo you know, I see so many ideas all the time. And I get kind of frustrated when we're talking about yet another vibrator that we're going to design. Like, I think we have been saturated with vibrators since the pandemic. I've I mean, maybe it's my Instagram could be biased, but I've <laughs> never seen so many celebrities hawking dildos. I'm like, okay, I'm sick of that. What are the new and interesting ideas? And when we look at populations that um, may not fit, you know, typical sex education or experiences, I think they're the most interesting ideas. They're the things that we should be backing and they have personal experience. So Andrew and Heather at Bumpin designing, you know, disability-driven design in sex, super interesting. I think the ageing population is another one, like going to nursing homes and innovating around that. 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, they're still having sex. And so how niche can you go? And is it based on personal experience? They're always the most interesting, exciting ideas to me in sex tech. Yeah. yeah. So talking about that, you've now run nine cohorts. So I don't know, maybe about four or 500 people have gone through sex tech school yeah. globally. And again, you mentioned to me like 26 nationalities from all over the world. Yeah. Everyone but Antarctica. 
is, Everybody in, is, is getting involved. Okay, that's, well, that's, the first penguin will come soon, uh, I guarantee <laughs> you. Um, can you can you tell me a little bit what kind of trends you're seeing? What are people working on? Yeah. Well, as I said before, people are coming from all over. So there's there's a lot of different things that I think are just totally out of the box that I'm like, well, that's fascinating and no one else is working on that. Um, a great example would be Glenice's VDOM, the smart penis that goes from flaccid to erect at the touch of a button that's used for people with different identities that want to feel, hey, I'm not just wearing a strap on for sex, but I'm moving through the world and I can have sex with my girlfriend if I want uh, at the touch of a button, but feeling that gender affirmation or people that have gone through trauma. So I think that they're really interesting ideas that are coming through that I think the trend there is like, personal experience, what, am, yeah. what is happening in my own life that um, I can innovate around or that I need a solution to. And then, I mean, by far and large, the, the cohorts are predominantly women and non-binary mm. binary folks that are coming through. And I think that's a huge trend in sex tech, and we're seeing that with the, um, you know, the, the term sexual wellness has also been really useful, I think, in getting through commercially into mainstream. So women and non-binary founders are big. And of course, you know, I think we're seeing more and more things like Web3 being used and VR, but the, the stuff that has more, more application, I'd say the most have been using apps, you know, yeah. like Amorous with sexting and teaching people how to sex. It's like basic sex education. Can we please nail the basics? Everywhere I go, all over the world, and I'm the same, I had a very average sex education in Australia. And so people are hungry even for that base level of like, I know nothing about my body or I just want to be a better lover. I mean, how many um, you know, sites do we see with the search terms like how to um, around porn? And so um, there's so much different innovation there. But I, I think, yeah, the, the female non-binary folks, the people with just super specific needs uh, yeah. are the best stuff. Yeah, I thought it was super interesting. So I'm normally based in Hong Kong. And uh, in Asia, obviously, still a large stigma around sex. So really interesting to see that out of all the cohorts, mm. uh, an increasing participation from Asia. It's very, very slow, but it's coming. So I'm, you know, I'm very Dutch, but I've lived in Asia for the longest time. So I'm really trying to fly the flag for Asia here, too. Yeah. Um, what is really interesting is there, because there is still so much taboo, a lot of the sex tech that is coming now is really around sex education, mm. both for younger, um, for younger people, for Gen Z, you know, first-time sex toys, people that are for the first time really experiencing sex in a different way than they've ever had before. So I yeah. find that really, really fascinating yeah. to, to see happening. And I think that the, the one thing when I talk about sex education, Mike, is like people are afraid of using technology to deliver that sex education by thinking there are so many challenges with using technology and how young people are using technology today. But I think there is a real opportunity um, we can't rely on the government, we, we can't rely on the education system yeah. always for entrepreneurs to come in and use technology in interesting ways to deliver comprehensive sex education. Yeah. Now that might be in a classroom with VR where it's immersive and still personal or it could be via texting bots. I think there's so many, so there's just so much potential under the surface there for different ways to deliver sex education and for different parts of the world. Yes, As you said, exactly. Asia, rural areas. How do we use a technology that people are using in different parts of the world to talk about sex? 
But then talking about some of the questions that we, you and I also get regularly is like, okay, but if we focus so much on technology, where does sexuality get back into play? And how do we keep that human connection even though we are working more and more in a digital environment? Yeah. What well, do you have to say about that? <laughs> I get asked this all the time. I feel like I, I have to be the perpetual optimist and being like, we're not all going to be replaced. It's fine. Like, the sex robots aren't taking over. But I think, you know, technology has no ethics. Technology doesn't care if you have an orgasm or not. Like, we're the humans that are building it. And so for me, what's really important is who's building the stuff? Who's building the sex tech? Who's getting behind it and thinking about, well, what, what happens if we do build this? So for me, I keep coming back to the onus is on uh, the builders, but also the users of that sex tech to think about how they use it, just as we think about, you know, the smartphones, the robots in our pocket, mm. around how, how are we mindfully using this? Because so much of sex tech, if we can get, you know, beyond the idea that we're moving towards this dystopian future of um, robots taking over and us all, you know, living in these little bubbles and having being plugged in um, to the matrix and having sex, so much of sex tech today, let's talk about the present of sex, is about um, humanity. It's got nothing to do with technology. It's all about how we augment the experience, how we use it for ourselves, how we're thinking about how we're using it. And so I'm really passionate about bringing more people into the space mm. to think about that and to build that and to create the future they want it to see yeah. rather than think, okay, well, you know, it's all taking over. Let's, let's just take a back seat. Yeah, exactly. So coming back to Sex Tech School and the founders that you engage with, so in your experience, what has set out the ones that have been successful, and I think Onad is one of them, yeah. versus the ones that are struggling? Yeah, I think I think personal I think drawing on personal experience is always good because there's so many barriers at each point that you have to you cannot rely on outside motivation or a quick buck for this and think hey I'm going to um, sling lubes for a living and it's all going to be fine. You, it really comes back to well why am I doing this? And every single person in this room has their own blueprint for sex and sexuality and their experience and what could be better or how I might improve things. And so I think you have to hold on to that when yep. the going gets tough, and it gets tough all the time. And, I, you know, um, the ones that I think outlast are people that can walk into the room and still talk about sex when people are still, you know, or online, yep. um, throwing all sorts of things their way and being, um, you know, questioning why on earth you'd want to be in the porn industry and mm. having answers for that. But that's, that's really from a... Um, surviving sex tech mm. perspective, whereas you're an investor, so you're looking through this in a different lens and looking at founders and going, who do I want to support um, and who can grow their businesses? So I'd love to hear your take as well on, on what you look for. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm very specific. I really want to empower uh, the participation of women in this space, so mm. I particularly focus on female founders. But I think what I've seen is the ones that are particularly successful are the ones that, that are vested personally in a, in a way that they are solving a problem that they have. So Emily from Onut, she's very, very open about the fact that she actually started the company because she was experiencing so much mm. pain during sex. Um, another company that I invest in that is focusing on menstrual care really um, came about because the founder was 
in so much agony that she felt that there was only one way to change that, it was to get rid of all the plastic and, and change the whole setting of the company. So I feel actually very passionate uh, about founders that are actually solving their own problems first mm -hmm. because they are spirited and passionate about growing um, the, the solution so that it actually benefits everybody. Yeah, I love that. So that's really, really exciting. Um, Coming back to the fact, though, that this is very, um, that there's a lot more women in this space, even though we, we hosted a, a summit on Sunday morning to talk about sex tech in Web3. And um, uh, DJ uh, is one of the male founders of a company called Tingle, very, very um, impressive founder who is really, yeah. really trying to, to change uh, the, the industry and the perception around kink. Uh, but one of the questions that I also have here um, on my screens from the audience, and by the way, if you do want to ask questions, please go into the South By app and then click on the session on Engage and you can ask us questions. But it's like how uh, Fabio is asking this question. So how in this moment when there are more kind of women coming into this space, what does that mean for, for the men? <laughs> And trying to oh. understand kind of the new role. You've got your own problems, <laughs> you know, that, that, that we can't speak about. But I think I, I, I truly believe, wouldn't this be great to see a male celebrity come out and talk as much as we have Lily Allen, Cara Delevingne, all these other Hollywood celebrities, females, whatever. Whoever is driving the conversation, those media signals are really important, right? Because that's what's changing the culture. So for me, I believe, you know, as women and non-binary folks move through with these cultural moments, like Me Too, Time's Up, um, the, yes, the, the celebrities, the beautifying of sex products, there is, of course, this wave of men that have to come through that have problems, um, issues that they want to solve or more pleasure that they want to experience. That the, the type, There is so much rich potential there and there are so many different examples, but again, the problem is visibility because it gets put in the adult bucket. But if we think about um, fertility testing, for women, we always put this, oh, women, freeze your eggs quickly, time's running out. But also fertility for men is a really big part of the equation. Yeah. And so I think a really interesting example of sex tech in that is um, Yo, which is a sperm app, um, sperm testing app, I should say. It doesn't spit out sperm. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a little like slide that goes into your phone where you would charge your phone and you can put a, a sample of your sperm on that and it, your, your phone, uh, your smartphone essentially turns into a microscope so you can measure the motility and the health, so the speed of your swimmers. Um, and I think that's really important. I think there's other examples like Marari, which is the patch for ED that helps solve in a non-pharmaceutical way um, issues around PE and ED. There are so many different companies. Joy Mode's another one. Sorry, PDED. Explain. Oh, premature ejacul ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. Um, so, sorry, yes, shorthand. But issues, I think, if you are going through them and having trouble with an erection, you'd certainly know what that is. And your first, um, your first thought is uh, the blue pill, right? And so there are all these other people in the world experiencing this at the same time, and there are some innovators going, there has to be a different way. And so Joy Mode's another interesting male-founded company, which is looking at supplements that aren't the like creepy gas station, you know, I feel like supplements for men in that area are either like oh, the sleazy, you know, uh, gas station 
horny whatever pills that you can get, or it's clinicized and it's, you know, Viagra and I've forgotten the other one right now. But it, it, there is so much scope between it being creepy and clinical for men to innovate or penis owners to innovate in sex tech. Joy Mode's one of them who's doing natural supplements. And I think also, if we're talking about trends in sex tech, I think um, the amount of deals and deal flow that I get around supplements now is super interesting. Mm. It's, and so sex tech, the way it can become more mainstream and less sort of like, what are we talking about here, is always, I think, attached to bigger ideas. So we've had this wave of women-owned brands that are looking like beauty brands in the sex space. And they, you know, alongside the eye cream in Sephora, you also have these sex products, which is really interesting and I think has seen its moment and it's peaking right now and becoming way more acceptable. Yeah, Walmart, Walmart CVS, the whole thing. And, um, and I think the next wave, which it's just like, how do we find these circles that are kind of adjacent? And supplements is another one that I think will be really easy and natural supp supplements. I'm seeing a ton of that around, um, you know, CBD, as all these other industries are, are kind of more acceptable. Yep. Um, sex can piggyback onto that. And that's where you see um, the changes happening. So to come back to the point about men, I think, that, I think that's the way to do it. I think, and you know, finding your place, your place is right here. You also um, have all these issues. I think the problem is men typically, cliche or not, have more trouble talking about it. And so you have to, part of the movement, part of the like, way that we mainstream sex tech is the conversations and pinning ourselves to these cultural moments and having those conversations. So I would love to see yeah. more figures of men that aren't uh, talking about it in a clinical way, mm. a pornified way, um, and there are people that we can look to and go, hey, this is this person's doing it. I, well, it's, I'm not alone. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Fabio just extended his question to ask about male allyship. And I think what is really interesting, coming back to the ONUT, uh, that actually most of the buyers of the ONUT are actually at the moment in, done by men. So yeah, they are right. actually buying the ONUT because they actually want their partners to experience um, sex in a, in a more pleasurable yep. way. So I think, yes, men, men can be great allies in this space. Yes. Um, and maybe we should pitch this to a male celebrity that has been here at I South know. By that I'm says, like, hey, Keanu Reeves, who wants to? Keanu Reeves, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking Matthew McConaughey <laughs> could also be a good one. Okay, right. Some, right, a list. But, um, uh, okay, back to where we were. Where we were. Maybe... Um, were you going to reveal the dripstick? It's just sitting here next to me, and I'm okay. like wondering when this is going okay. to have the big reveal. So we'll give you one more product. Um, this is called the dripstick. So a lot of you uh, will know that after experiencing sex, it's always a run for the tissue box or to the washroom to avoid having to change your sheets or having to, um, you know, create a lot of uh, problems. So this company has created the Dripstick, which is effectively um, a sponge. Again, it's quite squishy, which you can insert after sex, scrub, clean, take it out. I wouldn't throw scrub. it away. Well, scrub. It's very, it's very squishy, actually. Yeah. Um, but again, this was uh, invented by um, a lady who... Francis Tang. Yes, yes. Who recognized this was a real-life problem. Yes. Um, and is now selling this around the world. Yes. I, and that's, that's, the, that's the cool thing. I think I've banged on about this enough, but I think the inventions are really cool. Like, this is a, a 
legit invention that she made through prototyping through herself, and I think that's so interesting. I forget, they used to call it, the company's now Awkward Essentials, so they've expanded their whole line from, what was it called? Come and Gone before. Come and Gone. Now, great branding, um, but didn't work, didn't land, was too, was too... <laughs> stuck in the mind and other things too much. And so now, you know, for more mainstream adoption, it's called Dripstick and it works and it's, um, it's doing really, really well. Yep. But I think that, yeah, they're great examples of non-digital sex tech, but also people that are really inventing in the space and doing, um, you know, things based off their own personal experience. Yeah, exactly. Nothing more powerful. So I think the elephant in the room when you talk about sex tech um, is porn. Mm -hmm. because there are so many different views and so many different opinions about porn. Um, and one of the questions that Eduardo is, adds, uh, is asking is, is porn becoming more aggressive or non-ordinary? And is that actually impacting how people are having sex? And, and what, are, what are you seeing in that space? And I know there is a lot going on there as well. So can you maybe yeah. share some of that? Um, it's, it's such a polarizing topic too, because I think we, you know, it can really agitate people and trigger people around um, what's happening in the space, and rightfully so, because it's so hard to regulate and to understand from you know, the illegal sharing of images to the other end, which is ethical porn, real-world people having sex, which can be really educational. So for me, when people ask these sorts of questions, I go, well, it's doing both, and it's not going away. And so I think that's the thing to, to think about with porn is it's not going away, so how do we find ways to... Um, influence it or to use it or to talk to our kids about it. I often think about porn as the McDonald's of sex, right? Like, it's there, it's fast food, don't have it all the time, but it kind of like, it serves its purpose for me. Some people eat it all the time. What do I think porn's doing? I think forever as it has done, it, it, it has like access to capital so it can do really interesting stuff and drive innovation. If we think about video games and porn driving so much of innovation in technology from payment processing, live streaming videos, all that stuff was driven by like, how can I, how can I have more fun? I, can I play more games or how can I, how can I have more sex or see more sex? So um, I, I find it tricky to answer that question because I think that it's going in every single way. But what I do think is, is cool for me is looking at how, how are the porn companies that have a ton of money not going away. What are they doing? What are they experimenting yep. with? And is that working or not? So, you know, whether they're in the metaverse or VR, it's such a clunky experience now. But where is that going? And it's often a really good signal um, to what is going to uptake. But I think what is also really cool is to see through Sex Tech School and some of the founders that are really wanting to change yeah. and bring more ethical porn, more kind of female-friendly porn, uh, different ways of, of looking at democratizing this space and making it more equal. Yes, and I mean, I mean we could sit here and ha I'm sure there is a whole panel on ethical porn because what is ethical porn, it's so hard. But I think having those different voices is really important. Having different bodies represented, I think we can all agree that those sorts of things are really important in, in any of our sex lives to see people doing different things. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, coming back to what you were just talking about, um, is what, what kind of advice would you have for anybody that is kind of interested in stepping into this space or working into this space? Oh, gosh. Are you ready? Like, be ready? You've got to be ready. I thought I was going to be um, behind the scenes when I started, because I started with a podcast, and it became very apparent very soon, no, you, if you're talking about sex, you are visible. Um, I, I think it's an interesting question that we have at Sex Tech School, is like, can you be a founder in this space and still be invisible? Mm. So you kind of have to be ready to uh, talk about sex or, or be visible at, at some point in your mm. career. So that's advice. But once you get over that, I think the advice is showing your work. You know, so often we think it has to be perfect or the prototype or the idea has to be fully formed, and this applies to any industries. Showing your work, show your work before it's ready. Keep changing the, the way that I, I feel understood sex tech was through people that showed their work really fast and encouraged me to as well. How about you? I yeah, think it's really question. interesting. Um, so I, I, I was literally um, in a C-suite role in financial services. And I think if I would have told people that I was moving into the fintech space, everybody would be like, yeah, of course. Uh, but I can tell you, when I called my parents over Zoom a few weeks ago to say, hey, mom, dad, I've actually quit my job because I'm going to be focusing on sex tech. My parents were like, what, huh? Mm, My parents huh? had the same. Um, but <laughs> I think what is really cool, and that's sometimes when you have to go over these hurdles and also have a little bit more faith in humanity. Uh, I think as I showed you last night, my father just sent me a clipping from a newspaper which was a, a, about STIs, which he sent like, hey, good luck at Austin, and by the way, found this article, thought you might find it useful. I think we also have to be more positive around you know, the impact that we can actually have as, a, as an industry and, and really focus on, on the impact that we can have on people's lives and yeah. look at this in a very positive way. Um, coming back to that, impact on people's lives. So obviously here in the US, um, the Roe versus Wade has been a big impact, one of the questions that Karen Kareen is asking. So have you seen through Sex Tech School or through your experiences a change in perspective or change in the way people are looking at the industry? I think it just has galvanized so much. People have to put their anger and their energy somewhere. And so I think all the political situation and the bans on books and bodies and things has galvanized people mm. to go, I have to do something. And so I think, yes, there's been a, a bigger interest in sex tech because of that. Just, just as um, we were talking before, Me Too and Time's Up did. It sort of empowers people, even if we're talking about sexual assault and bans on our bodies, it empowers us to go further with the conversation. Mm. So it's really important to have, to have that involved, yeah. involvement. Yeah, I think it has also created a, di a different kind of um, activism. So I think this is not just a US issue now. I think it's become a global um, kind of community that is looking into how this can grow. Absolutely. And, and, and As you said, it's everyone. Further. It's not just, you know, it, it impacts everyone yeah. on the planet with yeah. their bodies. Yeah. yeah. So. Can you talk to me a little bit how, because somebody is asking a question about connected toys. So can we maybe talk about COVID and how this has changed, let's say, 
the industry and particularly the connectivity and maybe accelerated certain areas and decelerated other areas of sex tech? Yeah, I mean, the, the pandemic was actually amazing for the sex tech industry, specifically dating toys and porn, right? Huge acceleration in, in those industries. We saw different features and dating apps like videos, toys were really big, so teledildonics, which is super connected sex toys, Bluetooth, um, connected, they saw an uptick. And porn, of course, people were stuck at home watching. So I think in one way, it was, well, in the most possible way, it was great financially, but it was also great for conversations, for mm. people talking about sex and sex tech so much more. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit around how you see the industry evolving. So right. what area are you specifically kind of excited about or do you feel people here in the audience need to know about? I mean, I talk a lot about sex education because I think that's just would solve world peace. You know, I think there's so much there that we, we could learn from just getting that part right. So I'm always so fixated on that versus, you know, holograms and AI, and I think that they have really interesting applications, but I don't think we can lose sight of the humanity. And that's what I always come back to, is the humanity of all of sex tech is what's important, is what's driving it, is what the trends are. Right now we're talking AI so much, before we were talking about NFTs. Of course, sex is involved in all of that. You know, in AI we see sex workers using ChatGPT and using that to do custom clips and write stories, people writing erotic novels on it. I think it's easy, it's easier for us to latch onto trends and I get asked about them, the, the latest thing, but actually, um, why? Like, what sort of future do we want and what sort of sex life do we want is more the questions I think that I'm interested in and I think underneath that is like, well, first, we need to be educated about our bodies. Sorry, that's an unsexy no, answer. No, no, that's what, okay, that's what do you okay. Think? Have well, you got something you're interested I, no, in? No, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but what I firstly, I would like to commend South by Southwest by having so many panels about sex. So yeah. I think we talk about sex in the metaverse, sex in space, um, our panel today. So I think that's really great. We should just be talking about it more. But what I really liked in a, in a presentation uh, about the future normal was also virtual companionship. So I think one of the big global trends that we are experiencing globally is... Uh, loneliness. Mm. Uh, so uh, obviously as populations are aging, more and more people are alone. Um, and then just putting on my Asia hat, this is a real rig problem in Asia where people are becoming so much older and older. But also the younger generation. I think there were some very shocking stats that came out this week. Uh, I saw Scott Galloway um, and the FT talking about it, how teens do not actually see their friends anymore because everything is virtual. So virtual companionship, I think, is something that I'm excited about and not excited about. Yeah. Because on the one hand, you would want everybody to kind of have a human connection. But on the other hand, if you're in a place where it is impossible to connect with others or in a position where you have nobody to connect to, I think a virtual companion could be something that is really, really going to be a game changer for some of this. For sure. And I, always, I, I do feel in the future talks that we always do, there is always this idea, um, especially in the sex space, of the use of these use cases in therapy. Uh, Estopril may argue different, I think, but use cases for therapy and yes. trauma and um, health, which are really powerful. And then the most fearful ones are around oh my goodness, no, that means I'm going to be replaced. So always there's a potential for that. And I think 
the, the most money is going to be driven by porn. So we have to keep an eye on that, on mm. the, the, the adult industry. But I think the most interesting stuff is you've got to go looking for like the super niche, um, hyper-local uh, ideas around sex and technology. Yeah. So um, thank you for that. Um, I just want to answer a few questions here on the stage before I continue with. Um, one person is asking, will sex with AI and robots be perceived as something healthy for everyone in the future? I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't, think, I don't think anyone knows. And I think, again, it's a, a yes and a no. Some people are going to love it. Some people are going to be like, that's not for me. Um, but I think this is something that, just like the conversations we have today about sex and sexuality and what is cheating, you know, and we go, oh, they're emotionally cheating, or this, my husband's talking to someone on Messenger and they're having these conversations every day. Someone, to someone, that is cheating, and to the next person, it's not. So that's also how I think about those questions. Is, well, who knows? I think that's something we're all going to figure out um, on our own individual values and what are our sexual values. Mm -hmm. But sorry, so some of the questions are not just in order. So I have a question here of somebody who is building an AI-based sexual health program, and they're just preparing for their marketing strategy. And we were talking earlier about being blocked. What do you recommend advice? not being blocked? What's your company called? Okay, that's a good start. It doesn't have sex in the... So for those of you that can't hear in the back, this is a lady who's creating a company uh, with n new neural pathways in the brain for sex. And the name is Soma Health. Okay, Soma Health. Um, so yes, good start, I think, in not having sex in the title. And I think ways that we've hacked around it, hopefully no one's listening from the powers of be, is by labeling sex tech companies health companies, also doing advertising through the founder um, as your profile on Instagram, your profile on Facebook rather than others. I mean, these are like very hacky ways of doing marketing because so much of it inevitably you're going to get banned. I remember we ran sex tech hackathons in Australia and Asia, and we had to put 80 ads up before we got one through. You know, and it was, it's very manual trying, and this is a couple of years ago. So I think the advertising policies have changed at Meta now, but we're still not seeing the results. So they changed the policies you may be familiar to allow sexual wellness companies to advertise, but we haven't seen whether that has actually had a tangible effect on companies. So. That's my advice. It's a sort of, it's very hacky and sort of thinking, what industry next to you feels a bit safer that you can plug to first um, if you're specifically talking about paid advertising? Yeah. Okay, one more question from the audience. Like, as a healthcare provider in a large city, sex trafficking is a big, big problem. Is there any tech that you're familiar with uh, that tackles human sex trafficking? Um, not recent ones. 
Yeah. No, I think the only thing that I have seen is on the one hand, uh, the trafficking, human trafficking sp space has really evolved into the crypto space because right. it's, it's kind of more anonymous. Yeah. But on the other hand, you also see that governments and law enforcement agencies are becoming better at actually tracking and cracking. So I think um, actually um, the opportunities for human trafficking have slowed down because of the tracking through blockchain. Mm. Um, and hopefully there will be more and more happening in this space. I know there is a lot happening in domestic violence, which I think yep. is super exciting, particularly in the blockchain and the metav mm -hmm. metaverse. Um, so yeah, hopefully next year we will see more about that. Um, I see somebody uh, that is asking about sex tech school, so maybe we will um, end on that note. Okay. So can you explain what sex tech school is? So we obviously okay. didn't do a good enough Fair job enough. to explain uh, what it actually is. A pre-accelerator, yes. six-week program um, that you're put in with 50 other entrepreneurs, founders, or just curious seekers that uh, want to get a handle on this space. And then we go through branding, community engagement, business models, and industry knowledge. And really, it's about putting you in the industry, getting you into a network of experienced players and new founders that are coming up. Um, and we do them, I, I want to say every quarter, but it hasn't been every quarter. You can apply at sextechschool.com. Um, and then out of that, we've now got an investment community. So there's probably one in 50 or one every cohort that we go, wow, this is amazing. We need to get this um, company money ASAP. And now we have the Sextech School investment community or the sextechx.com. And that we invite retail investors, so everyday people, as well as sophisticated and accredited investors to get involved in Sextech that way. So perhaps you're not a founder or someone that wants to build in the space, but you're really interested in following the ideas in the space and maybe putting some money into these companies. You can go to the sextechx and apply there and uh, be part of the sex tech industry that way. Yeah, and I think one of the great things um, is also about the alumni. Uh, I think sure. we had a meetup here in Austin. I think there were 10 of us. So I think you're globally trying to see, starting to see pockets of sex tech founders and sex tech aficionados that are wanting to come together to talk about the latest trends and the latest opportunities. So I think yeah. that's also been a great support network. And to your earlier question, that's where people go with questions like, how do I deal with marketing? What have yeah. you guys figured out how to tackle this? So. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, with that, oh, you, we just spoke briefly about investment. So I think one of the big challenges is also funding. So one of the reasons why you're actually moving and setting up the investment fund is also to create an opportunity to close the loop between students, alumni, and investors and Absolutely. create a better opportunity for the industry. Yeah, and move it faster. Yeah. We need money. So this is a really exciting way for people to be involved in the sex tech industry and help propel it further. Yeah, great. So um, with that, oh, we might have room for one more question. Oh, a very interesting one <laughs> to end up with. Is non-monogamy a trend? Why, why did you choose that one? <laughs> Is non-monogamy a trend? I don't know, do you? Well, I think if you look at the sex tech, if you look at sex tech school and the sex tech industry, I do think there is a lot uh, more non-binary um, interaction um, happening. So products that are for, for everybody, for different people. And I think the whole concept of 
uh, of thinking about sex and sexuality is changing. Yes. So I think 100%. if we consider monogamy as being more traditional, I think the thinking about monogamy is changing. And I, I think it, yeah. is, is, it is actively fueled through the sex tech community. Yeah, and I think people are being more experimental. I always worry about these trends because it's like, is this just a buzzword or a trend and then it's gone and we, that we're not taking it seriously? What I think is people are uh, moving towards being more open, less judgmental, more shame-free. And if non-monogamy is included in that, then for sure we're moving, I hope, towards a more open um, idea Less so about the government, but ideas in people's minds about what sex and sexuality is to them. Yeah, great. Cool. Well, thank you for coming here with an open mind and with an open view on sex tech. And I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Yeah.